Hi everybody, good morning, good afternoon, or even good evening, wherever you are. Welcome back to my podcast in the fact series, Did You Believe? Today we're going to be talking about something a little bit than the gory side or than the mythical side. We're going to go throughout something that I also like, which is fashion. Now, to be precise, I'll be talking about our old Colin dictator fashion in the 18th century. Now, what I meant by dictator, I meant because France in the 1930 till 1962 colonized and had a war with Algeria. For those of you who don't know, go check it out. So, that's a little bit of a first fact, but that's actually an unrelated first fact. Anyway, let's start with it, shall we? Let's start it. Shoot. First fact is Louis the 15th understood the power of clothing. Marie Antoinette has the last has the lasting style legacy. But it was Louis the Fifteenth who ruled in the seventeenth century and passed away in seventeen fifteen, who really pushed the agenda. Let's not forget who wore red heel shoes. I mean, that was actually a good statement for noble royalty and noble families to distinguish their status. I'll explain. The king had a great fondness for fashion and expensive goods, and thought that prioritizing such thing, such things, made good economic sense. What? Eh. I mean, if those of you who don't know what happened in the 17th and 18th century, I highly recommend to watch Les Misérables or even read it because that book and that movie, not the one of Anne Hathaway, the old version, or even see the, uh, see the musical in Broadway, I don't know if it's still on in there, but it was of Hugh Jackman, so that's something I really love. Or even read the book, it's best if you read the book, Les Miserables by Victor Hugo, it's literally, it puts everything into perspective of what happened in those days and at that time. The French style industry grew to be big, powerful and efficient. Louis even established a system of trade guiles called corporations designed to set standards, regulate the industry and provide structure. So at least he did something good, even though it starved its people and led to the French Revolution. Every profession within the business, from tailors to dressmakers, had a union which provided organization and power at a time when the wealthy loved to exhibit their wealth. Louis fed into the culture by implementing etiquette standard for which called for costume changes throughout the day. So, long story short, Marie Antoinette and Louis XV literally 
savaged. <laughs> Literally savaged the fashion industry at that time. So, and now we'll go through details right after it. Fact number two. Anything could become fashion inspiration. That is actually true. Like, everything. French brothers Joseph Michel and Jacques Etienne Montgolfier invented the first hot balloon in 1783. That's, uh, that's a fact, actually. A bag of hot air might not seem a likely source of fashion inspiration, but it is but its spire did, with the industry hopping to write coattails of popular inventions. Montgolfier even became a term in hairstyling, and that is actually true. I don't know if one of you actually have seen anything of history, but uh, there was a time where the poofier the hair, the poofier the beehive, highest the beehive would be the better like the bigger the merrier like seriously but yeah fashion magazines came out every 10 days if you think it's hard to keep up with the trends now imagine if vogue was published nearly every week in the late 1700s fashion magazines managed to make the rounds despite having a narrow group of subscribers in the most elite circles. Servants would then read the latest news, pass the periodicals around, and perpetuate the already fast-moving fashion cycle. It's unclear how the media got access to the royals to report their ever-evolving styles, and in fact, when comparing the physical records with the written accounts, it seems their insider information might have involved a bit of imagination. That is actually super awkward to read out loud. Mother. Fact number four. Everything was outdated immediately. Oh boy. This is something that you... I gotta, I gotta read and I gotta process a little bit. Hatmakers and or... Millionaires served a hugely important role in the 18th century fashion, both in defining the look of the time and propelling it forward. The marchands de mode gave their stylings tropical, topical. <clears throat> I really thought it was tropical. God dang it! Optical illusion. Topical names to set them in a particular and short place in time. Any new accessory or trimming had a ticking clock on it. From the moment it was sent out into the world, this planned obsolescence, as Chrisman Campbell calls it, gave Miller's incredible power over the industry and ensured a steady stream of clients. That is actually true because for them, for in the, especially in the 18th century imperial France, this is what we are talking about. Fashion, it was like if someone noble or someone rich or even royalty, they had the obligation, not the obligation, the 
sense of obligation to wear so so many clothes every fucking five hours like literally every five hours so that means dress poof hair hat gloves accessories children's clothes children's hat like everything that to be everything so yeah now fact number five actually strengthens the previous fact everything was a custom and everything was a designer individuals would work with hat makers dressmakers and sometimes even fabric salesmen to compose one-of-a-kind items yet another way that milliners made their mark on the look of the time marchand de mode became powerful in the context of the guile system because while dressmakers could only trim a dress with the same fabric the dress was made of rules were rules so a, ma- a marchand de mode could trim it with anything but not so the dress at least not legally in the beginning they provided a variety of customization and made them highly sought after so marchand de mode is actually some court some sort of uh, stylist i mean literally the the translation from fresh means Marchand de mode means literally sales of fashion. So, fact number six. This actually would strengthen the first fact that I told you about. Even royals thrifted. Second-hand clothing was fairly regular among the wealthy and most people were wearing pieces that had previously been owned twice or even three times before flea markets were made for popular destinations and mary antoinette's lady in waiting were lucky enough to score her hand-me-downs which they would wear and or sell or make into dog beds what so her dresses they got these the fact that servants often wore the garments their masters had been sporting recently speak to both the importance and the possibility of fashions at the time. The industry was moving at breakneck speeds, and it was, believe me, it was. I mean, unfortunately, not unfortunately, actually, the good thing is, right nowadays, in 2018, after three centuries we are at a point where we can say that it's okay to wear the same thing over and over and over again because at that time especially if you were a royalty or a nobleman or a noble woman even you have to have about six outfits a day and change them every day so it's totally fine if you had drift chops or if you had the customation or if you gave hand downs or so yeah fact number seven 
Now let's talk from dresses and heels and unisexuality in the garments to hair. The iconic poof styling of the time with their feathers, flowers, ribbon, lace, jewelry, fruit, and even Malsinia weren't just about looking cool or displaying wealth, but they were meant to be a reflection of personal and cultural events or even newsworthy occurrences in science or politics like the American Revolution, topical fashions extended to fans, men's waistcoats, or even gowns. Like I said, I told you about poofiness, like the poofier the merrier. There was actually a picture, I think it was in a, in a French book, but I don't remember which one. I really don't remember, but I actually seen it when I was a kid. That it was rumored that the highest poof was almost seven feet tall on a woman's top head. Like, literally, like they shown a picture of a woman with her hair all over the place, like till the roof. And there was a servant who was actually holding it with a broom or with a stick so that she doesn't so that it doesn't fall off or she doesn't fall off at least. I don't know if it was real or not, but that was something really, really spooky. Now let's talk about some of the some of the most strongest and most influencer fashion designer of that time, Rose Bartonier. Rose Barton. She was a rock star designer of the time alongside with Cartier alongside Yves Saint Laurent the, f- the first generations so let's see about it Barton was a milliner who was introduced to Marie Antoinette by the Duchess Charles and from there became one of the eight designers in Paris she shared a lot of work for her, dressed well, and even had servants and a carriage. As someone who started out in a lower class, Bertin's accessions to life among the royals was a subject of controversy. She was also unique in that she dressed the queen as well others, which was previously not allowed. Marie Antoinette wanted Bertin to be a part of the fashion world, which why she didn't demand exclusivity, which is true. Now here's the thing, when you come to color palettes of that time, pastels, pinks, blues, yellows, like all the shade range of the pastel color, it was a hit in that time. But when it comes to mourning, to grief, to funerals and all, usually it's black. But during the 18th century, black was the new black. Here in the, in the fact number 9, during the 18th century, being in mourning was often more about etiquette than actual grief. Widows stayed in mourning for a year, and it was customary for the entire court done funeral where if any member of the European royal family died 
Black was in such regular rotation in the outfit color team <clears throat> that people got used to it and began to value its practicality. As mooning traditions started to fade, black became a color of everyday dress. <clears throat> well, we're almost at the home stretch, so hang on tight. Aprons were stylish. What? Aprons? Okay, this is confusing. I, I gotta... <clears throat> I gotta read it to understand what the heck that means. Hundreds of years before anthropology was born, French novelty knew there was something desirable about the rustic aesthetics, or as Christmas Campbell calls it, peasant chic. Luxury aprons became fashionable in part due to the success of the 1784 play Mariage de Figaro, which was about servants. Bertin made such aprons for Marie Antoinette, and the queen even had a model village built in the gardens at Versailles. I don't know if that is actually still available. I think the plants are still available, but the gardens itself, I don't think so. Something many high society types did at, at that time, so she could play, dress up, and pretend to be peasant. Oh, but still, that didn't help. Like feeding the people with, still led to a war, to a civil war. <laughs> the popularity of aprons was part of a movement towards simpler styles. Cotton began to. Be began to appear, which was a nice change of pace for the lower class who could conventionally wash the fabric while emulating the styles of the rich. But it was bad news for the embroideries and silk weavers who would eventually ask Louis and Marie to help their floundering business. Sadly, there's not much to be done when you're out of vogue. Surprisingly, a portrait of the Queen Bonne Badrige Le Brun in 1783 ignited public anger because of the simplicity of the dress. Not everyone was accustomed to the new trend at that point. Damn. Fact number 11. Like every war, you know that everything is gonna be lost, which is here. Everything was lost in the revolution, from clothes themselves to the industry that had once served as a crowning achievement of the court. The f world of French fashion disappeared in the wake of the revolution of the royal wardrobes we could only imagine and piece together the ideas of what once was from accounts and drawings. Many industry workers died or escaped, finding their way to other European cities. Dang. Jeez. That's, uh, that's kind of harsh. Now, last and not least, well, not the last one actually, it's the before the last, but still. Fact number 12. People wore political allegiances on their sleeve or rather their, their head. The tricolored cockade, it's not me, I, I swear to god it's not me, that's what the word is, was the look of a revolutionary, though 
it eventually became a mandatory to wear the hat or some sort of tricolor fashion during that time if you wanted to avoid conflict. Okay, that's cool. Now for the last fact, and I thank you very much for listening so far. Napoleon eventually brought fashion back. Napoleon became emperor in 1804. He wanted to return to the fashionable days of Louis XVI because, much like his predecessor, he believed encouraging the industry would help with the economy. He brought back luxurious dress and helped to breathe some life back into a facet of business and society that had been all but wiped out during the tumultuous years of the French Revolution. And with that note, I thank you very much for listening. I hope that you have a great day or night, wherever you are. Please stay tuned for the next podcast, which would be about... Well, I'm not exactly going to give you the name, but still. Which is going to be about what we are living on and what is surrounding it. We're going to go nerdy. Oh yeah, we're gonna go heads up. <laughs> well, not heads up in a bad way, so don't worry about that. But we're gonna go a little bit uh, facty, facty nerd, which is my kind of subject. <laughs> okay, I love you guys. Thank you so much for listening. <laughs> Bye.